Today is a feast day in the church year. There are times to fast and times to feast. Today we feast. Officially, today is called the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. There are some traditional Christian feast days or festivals that we always observe at Parkview, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, All Saints Day. There are some we never observe, Nativity of John the Baptist, Candlemas, Feast of Holy Innocence, and many more. And then there are the maybe or maybe not feast days, Christ the King Sunday, Ascension Day, Baptism of the Lord. It depends on what else is going on at the time, whether we do those. We do Baptism of the Lord Sunday maybe half the time. I'm kind of thinking that's not enough. On the one hand, why set aside a whole Sunday to focus on Jesus' baptism? It was one fleeting moment in the Jesus story. No miracle was performed, no sick people healed, no profound new insight on the law was taught. All we have is a vague description of a mystical experience. According to Matthew's version of the story, Jesus had a vision, an auditory and visual experience. We don't know whether anyone else saw or heard anything, maybe only Jesus, maybe the others in the vicinity. Matthew writes, heaven was opened to him and he saw the spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. Making this into a Christian feast sounds a little like the church fathers taking the opportunity to reinforce the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus is proclaimed God's son, the spirit dove descends and the father speaks from heaven. All three members of the Trinity are on the scene. But as I think about it, it goes a lot deeper than propping up a doctrine. This moment was crucial for Jesus. It defined and shaped his ministry from that day forward. And it's hugely relevant for our ordinary, everyday lives as followers of Jesus today. It deserves a feast. So set the table and fill the chalice. This is not just a mystical and woo-woo kind of story. It's practical. It's contemporary. It's relevant to Christians like us who like to focus on down-to-earth matters like daily discipleship. And it's as important as ever when our way of living in the world is challenged on so many fronts. When the wider church is splintering and diminishing, when our culture is more polarized than ever, when our national politics is badly broken, when our culture seems constantly anxious and fearful and just on the verge of violence, 
when our planet is in serious jeopardy, now is the time to get clear about who we are as the people of God. And there's no better place to start than contemplating Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River. Now, you may think I'm overstating the case. But no, there is no more important ritual in the life of the church than the ancient practice of baptism. And it's the one that we get the most confused about. Now, throughout history, we've had all kinds of debates about baptism. Not just debates, violence, warfare, executions. No one knows that more than Anabaptists. The ritual of baptism is part of our name. My 11th great-grandfather, Hans Landis, was beheaded in Zurich, Switzerland, over what he believed about baptism. Denominations have split over when to baptize and what words to speak when baptizing and how much water is needed and on and on. But, you know, most of that is old history. And that's not the kind of confusion that worries me. I'm worried that today we have tamed baptism and robbed it of its rich meaning and made it something sentimental. Now, all of you have witnessed wonderful baptisms. We've had them here at Parkview many times, sometimes in this beautiful sanctuary, sometimes on the bank of the North River in Bridgewater, sometimes other places. How joyful an occasion to see someone, a young person or adult, surrounded by loving family and supportive friends, make deep promises to God and to the church. And when it happens out in nature, it's, it's extra poignant, I think. Wind in the trees, birds singing, river gurgling. What more could we want from a ritual? And it's something that people want to share with others. Pictures are taken afterward. And shared on social media, and folks far and wide offer their love and prayers and warm congratulations. That's all great and all beautiful, and I love it all. But where we can get a bit confused about baptism is thinking of it primarily as a personal rite of passage like a birthday or a wedding or a quinceanera that we stage in such a way that it has our personal stamp on it so it's memorable and perfect and Facebook-worthy. Now, I'm not pointing a finger at any of our past baptisms here. Just saying that a pretty common view among Christians today is that a beautiful and memorable baptism service is somehow better than an ordinary one. It's like thinking that a big, beautiful, elaborate wedding is inherently better than a short and simple one. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I love beautiful things. In fact, I'm often willing to pay extra for something that has aesthetic value. I love beautiful weddings and beautiful baptisms. I love seeing people getting into the moment and celebrating goodness and beauty. But while a baptism can be aesthetically beautiful, it is so much more. It really makes no difference if you were immersed in the Jordan River itself and have a video to prove it with harp music as a soundtrack. And yes, there are some commercial outfits that provide exactly that experience. Or if you had water poured on you from a Tupperware pitcher kneeling in a drab cinder block church in Florida with no AC and you barely remember because you were 12. I'll let you guess which of those two scenarios was mine. <laughs> Here's the thing. Baptism is not about a personalized and individualized experience. It's about your identity as an individual in community. It's not about where your baptism is located. It's about where your baptism locates you. I want to say that again. It's not about where your baptism is located. It's about where your baptism locates you. Take Jesus' baptism, for example. His baptism and ours are more alike than you think. We may wonder why Jesus needed baptism. John the Baptist wondered and even objected at first. Jesus was not baptized to have his sins washed away. No, it was the day that Jesus said yes. A full and knowing and determined yes to his God-given identity and to his place among his people. The moment Jesus came up out of the water, a voice from heaven pronounced his new identity. You are my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, or in whom I find happiness. So God spoke a clear and resounding yes to Jesus, and in submitting to baptism, Jesus spoke a clear yes to the Spirit who beckoned him. At that moment, Jesus threw in his lot with his God and God's people and God's purposes. He was rechristened. In a way, it kind of completed the naming process that began when he was eight years old and being held by old man Simeon in the temple. In Jesus' baptism, the one who had the right to name him, the one who gave him life, said the most significant sentence that a parent can say to a child. 
It begins with, you are. Not you should, or you oughta, or you will, but you are. And the words that come after you are can either build up or tear down. They can create life or destroy it. But always they are powerful because they articulate our identity. In baptism, God was the first one speaking. It was true for Jesus, and it was true for me in that sweltering cinder block church. And it was true for any of our young people who stood on the bank of the North River. In baptism, God says to us, you are loved, you are mine, you are worthy because I have made you worthy. I am with you, I am for you. I have an intention for your life. It's not a coincidence that in the Gospels, the first event recorded after Jesus' baptism is his agonizing trial in the desert where Jesus' new identity is put to the test. The way Matthew unfolds his gospel story is intentional. Jesus is told by God, this is who you are. And the next moment, he is being told by Jesus' greatest adversary, no, you can be whoever you want to be. And the rest of Jesus' life journey on this earth, he was pulled this way and that way by well-meaning friends who thought he should behave in a certain way and by outright enemies who tried to make him behave in a way that suited their purposes. And every time, Jesus went back to what he was told by the one who had already laid claim to his identity. Jesus had to repeatedly say to his friends and his enemies, no, this is who I am. This is how I'm meant to live. That's the function that baptism should have for us too. It is foundational to understanding who we are. We start by hearing God's, yes, you are my beloved. You belong to me and to my family. And in baptism, when we're able to make that statement fully and clearly and determinedly, we offer back our, yes, I am your child. I make your family my family. I am all in with your will and purposes for me and for the world. And once we hear God's yes and respond with our yes, we have a basis then on which to act and to do and to behave. We have a foundation for our ethics, for deciding between a right and wrong course for our lives. I wonder whether there would be less chaos and 
conflict and confusion in our churches, in our communities, in our national and global states of affairs, if more people had heard and believed those defining words from their creator, you are. You are my daughter, my son. I have given life for you. You belong to me, and I love you with an everlasting love. So many things try to define our identity, our affiliations, our jobs, our degrees, our money, our stuff, our self-image. All these identities are foisted on us by a culture that makes idols out of these identities and affiliations, idols that make promises they can't deliver. When our choices grow out of those thinner and more fleeting identities, instead of our God-given identity as a beloved child of God, then we are not living the whole life that we were created to live. And then all kinds of dysfunction and violence results. I think baptism is the best thing that the church has going to set us on a different kind of course in life. It locates us in a community on mission with God in the world. In times of chaos and uncertainty, It reminds us who we are and to accept and love who we are that we might love others with more courage and more integrity. May it be so with us and may God strengthen our yes. Join with me in the confession, if you will, in your bulletin and on the screens. God, we confess that we are sometimes hesitant to throw in our lot with you and with your people. God, strengthen our yes. In times of chaos and uncertainty, we need reminding of who we are and whose we are. God, strengthen our yes. Today, we openly confess yes we are yours. Yes, we are part of your people in this world. God, strengthen our yes. Let us gratefully receive God's eternal yes toward us and know that God has accepted our yes in return. Amen.